Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, Cultural Engagement Manager at the Hendricks Center. And today our topic is leading with courage and compassion. I have two guests in studio today. First guest is Dr. Daryl Bach, Executive Director of Cultural Engagement and Senior Research Professor of New Testament at Dallas Seminary. Welcome, Daryl. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for being one of our expert guests today. Well, I, I, I'm feeling odd in this chair, but I should be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and our second guest is Bill Hendricks, Executive Director of Leadership at the Hendricks Center. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, Daryl, I want to just dive right into our discussion. And you wrote an article recently about leading in a shifting culture, a rapidly shifting culture. Explain to us a little bit about this cultural shift that you've seen in your ministry. Well, you can think about it in a variety of ways. Let me just give a couple of examples. Um, think about communication just for a second. I remember being uh, very, very young in 1962. Hmm. Um, I was uh, eight years old at the time. People can try and figure out how old that makes me now, but I won't do the math. <laughs> and. Uh, when the Telstar satellite first get, gave the first live broadcast between Europe and the United States, and it was such big news that they broke into the broadcast that they were in the midst of, I think I was watching a cartoon or something, and, and lo and behold, we got to see you know the UK live. And you just think about how often that happens today mm -hmm. um, in a variety of ways, I mean, not just on news channels, but I can call uh, my neighbor from halfway across the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we can FaceTime together, that kind of thing. So that's one kind of change. And then there's this: the, there are the social changes that, of course, we've seen in my own lifetime as well. So we live in a, in a time of, of rapid change in which um, the leaders in the church are having to speak to people who are also having to cope with all these changes in one way or another. The world that, that our children are growing up in, or our grandchildren in my case, um, is very different than the world I grew up in. So how does the church prepare people for that? That actually is a challenge for leaders in mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we exist at the Hendricks Center to kind of help leaders negotiate through that and to think through uh, what those changes represent and the kind of pressures that uh, are faced as a result of some of those changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've talked before about how in this uh, time as we're doing ministry, we find that more and more throughout the country that the Bible isn't the answer in the minds of many people, but rather it's the question. And so it's kind of a, a different game from when, let's say, 19th century, 20th century America for most of um, the 20th century where you could kind of quote the Bible to someone as a pastor and have them give a little bit of respect maybe to the, to the text because of their cultural heritage. Um, how do you see the church having to respond to that kind of change? Well, it, it, it responds in a couple of ways. One is that uh, people better be equipped to explain um, what the Bible is and why they believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And the second is they need to be able to 
to say uh, there's a line that I s- say when I speak about this. You know, we used to be able to say it's true because it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And whether someone was a member of the church or not, there was enough Judeo-Christian net around our culture, they'd say, well, that's at least a respected religious source. That's going to help me think about how to live life. Mm-hmm. And so they, they would accept it, whether they accepted everything about what the Bible was or not. Today, that's no longer true. Uh, a lot of people have questions about the Bible. They have questions about what kind of work it is, that kind of thing. So now we have to argue that it's in the Bible because it's true. Mm-hmm. That's a different kind of argumentation. The idea is, well, God has inspired this and said this is the way to live because this is a helpful way to live on its own intrinsic merit. Mm-hmm. So how do you make that argument in that kind of a way and how do you think about it? So the church has to think about how the Bible addresses the authenticity of life and what makes for a good way of living and human flourishing. And and not simply put the imprimatur of the Bible on it, but understand kind of the theological and human and anthropological mm-hmm. rationale for why God would say that's a good way to live. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot nowadays in terms of cultural engagement at the center. But Bill, let me ask you to take us back to the 80s when the Hendricks Center first began. Talk a little bit about your dad and how Howard Hendricks began to focus on uh, leadership and what, what his focus was in that regard. Sure. And as you mentioned, my dad is uh, Howard Hendricks. He taught at the Dallas Seminary for 60 years. He founded the, uh, what was called the Department of Christian Education. And uh, some of the themes that he was uh, big on, I guess you'd say, in addition to education, were leadership um, and mentoring, discipleship, uh, and Christian home was, was another sort of classic area for him. And of course, nobody got through seminary without having to take his Bible study methods course. That was pretty much uh, a required course for hmm. all concern. Uh, and he had a huge influence, um, and he's now with the Lord. But in the mid-'80s, um, he, he used to say uh, the greatest crisis in America is a crisis of leadership. And the greatest crisis of leadership is a crisis of character. Mm-hmm. And with that kind of spirit in mind, uh, he founded and, and, and brought some others in to work with him on what became called the Howard G. Hendricks Center for Christian Leadership. And they began to really think through what does it take to lead people, uh, not just in churches and in, in Christian institutions, but uh, also out in society, in, in the marketplace, in, in workplaces, in the military, in government. Dad uh, was very much about the practice of the Word. He had done his thesis on the book of James, and so a lifelong theme for him was let's not just be hearers of the Word, let's be doers of the Word. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, he kept driving toward the practical. How does this apply to everyday life? And it really was was like the perfect setup for where things have gone today, because today more than ever, we, we need to be asking the question, how does our, our theology, how does our Bible, how does it work? Like, mm-hmm. like in day-to-day life, what difference does this make? And people are uh, really seeking that answer if, if they're people of faith. Hmm. Well, Daryl, in the article that you wrote, you mentioned four words, four concepts that begin with the letter C. So it's that that thing will preach, right? All right. Um, <laughs> it's, we, it's a very DTS. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. what we want to do—it's against all my instincts. I just want—I just want to get that out on the table right now. <laughs> well, what we want to do with this 
uh, rest of our conversation is kind of walk through these concepts, and conveniently they all begin with C, so they're easy to remember. And the first one is comprehension. So mm-hmm. tell me, what do we need to understand as leaders ministering in these rapidly changing times? Well, the, the, the challenge of what's happened to the center has been that we started off focusing on the leader and on his character, mm-hmm. but it became clear, particularly with this cultural shift that we just talked about, with the shedding of the kind of the Judeo-Christian net, that having a leader with character in and of itself wasn't going to be enough. Now, it's important and foundational. You're not going to go anywhere without the yeah, that, issue of that character. That hasn't changed. That has yeah. not changed. That's, that's central. But the ability of the leader to comprehend scripture and to comprehend society. That's two S's. Mm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, The ability to understand scripture and and the culture around them both to kind of switch hit, to be able to Mm -hmm. move in either direction is really an important part of leadership. We we talk about, uh, at the center, we talk about having biblical agility Mm -hmm. in shifting times. And it's the ability to read and react. Um, Now, I may have to explain this to some people. Those who are football fans know exactly what I'm talking about. When you hand the ball off to a runner and he's and he's in a in a sweep play and they're there the linemen are pulling out in front, the play is drawn to have a hole in a certain place. But that doesn't mean that's where the hole's gonna be. And so as the as the runner is coming to the sideline and deciding when he's going to make his cut up the field, he's got to read and react both to the way the linemen are configured and the way the defense is coming at him. Mm-hmm. So that when that he and he also needs to anticipate where that hole is going to be by the time he gets there. And so all those skills that are pictured in that metaphor are the skills of a leader who's able to read and react, both knowing what he's carrying on the one hand, what the Scripture has to say, Mm -hmm. and how to cut through life in the midst midst of it all. So this comprehension is kind of twofold. It's it's the understanding of the Scripture, which generally speaking, seminaries have been pretty good at training people to be able to do. But then the understanding of the culture is something, generally speaking, that has that has tended to take a a lesser position, mm-hmm. and and yet it's very very important as mm-hmm. well. And so the ability to what we another metaphor that we use in the center is the ability to switch hit, the mm-hmm. ability to go from life to the Bible or life back to the Bible, to mm-hmm. be able to go both ways, and it's not always the same move, um, is important in being a leader and in knowing how to discern what it is that needs to be done in particularly difficult circumstances. Circumstances oftentimes, and those circumstances have become more challenging in many ways in recent times. And so we're trying to equip people with both levels of comprehension. So if you look at, for example, these podcasts that mm-hmm. we do, some of them are biblically content-oriented, they're theologically-oriented, they're about doctrines and teaching and that kind of thing, or apologetics, but others of them are very much situational scenarios, the types of spaces and places people find themselves in, mm-hmm. and, you're, and they're wanting to know, how do I assess this and know how to respond biblically? So mm-hmm. that's comprehension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's that biblical agility, the ability to switch hit, you can go from today's lesson is from John 1 and then exegete that for people. Or you can say, well, hey, I'm having trouble with my marriage. I'm having trouble responding to this person at work. And how can the scriptures help inform what I'm going through? Exactly right. So we have, on the one hand, material that deals with the content of scripture. Uh, for example, we did we, we did a podcast in relationship to the whole same-sex marriage discussion mm-hmm. going through eight key passages that talk about you know, uh, 
the issue of same-sex desire and what Scripture has to say about that. But we've also, on the flip side, done other pieces that talk about people who grew up in a home where where his parents divorced and they each entered into same-sex relationships, and mm-hmm. he was raised in that kind of a context, came to the Lord, and how now does he relate to his parents? Yeah. Or we flipped it around. We've had an interview with someone who was same-sex attracted, told their mom, came to the Lord eventually, and talked about what that relationship was like through that entire journey. So we've gone from both the text to the life situation and mm-hmm. the life situation back to the text. Mm-hmm. We, go, we go both ways. Yeah. Well, and I'd, I'd point out in those illustrations, Daryl, something that we talk about a lot at the, at the center, which is that oftentimes the when, when we're on the side of, of understanding the culture and the issues, a lot of that is really messy. Mm-hmm. Like the answers are not so obvious because mm-hmm. the situations are often so murky. And many times we're dealing with people uh, and people who hold a particular view who are coming from an altogether different worldview. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and so we have to read that and we have to understand how are they seeing life. Just like you said, if, if, if our approach is to just say, well, the Bible says X, if they don't believe the Bible, they, they think it's as, as relevant as, as uh, Aesop's fables, you know, then the conversation's over at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in, in fact, we've, we're working on talking about a template to think about this. There's what's going on in the culture. There's what the Bible says. Often those two things are in conflict with one another. You know, we live in a fallen world, so our world is full of tension. And uh, and particularly oftentimes those tensions are between what the Bible aspires for people to be and the way they actually live. And, that, and, re, and yet regardless of how you resolve those two things, and that's already challenging enough mm-hmm. in many cases, you're still left with the relational level of how do I actually relate to someone who's coming from a very different place than I am? Yeah. And is it strictly going to be a confrontation? And what is that actually in the end going to achieve? Or is it a combination of what I call challenge and invitation? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to challenge them with the way Scripture calls people to live on the one hand, but it's always with an invitation to step into what's possible from God's hand and through God's grace. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, at the relational level, I'm always wrestling with those two elements side by side. Um, so that I don't back off on my convictions on the one hand, and I'm actually e- engaged in the conversation with a willingness to learn and to hear what's being said on the other. But at the same time, I'm also extending this invitation to say uh, there might be a better way to live. There might be a more profitable way to do things than, mm-hmm. the, than the, the way we are engaged with each other right now. And uh, in that I think is is part of what's important to what the center does because a leader to lead has to be a leader not just in what he thinks and what he sees but also how he relates to the people that mm-hmm. he's leading. Mm-hmm. So thinking about comprehension, we have the scripture that we need to understand. We have the culture that we live in, or the subcultures that mm-hmm. we live in. Maybe we have to manage a couple of different. Yeah, things. that's an important point. There's more than one culture that we're floating around, and you're always dealing with hybrids in one degree or another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you'd say we need to understand to be better leaders? Absolutely. I think Daryl touched on it, but we need to understand the person that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes we deal with issues, but of course, in dealing with those issues, we're always dealing with people. And one of the real problems in dealing with folks who disagree with us is we we easily can sort of dehumanize them. 
and then we begin to attack. And what we need to see is this is a person made in God's image. Mm -hmm. And they may have come to a very different conclusion than we have, and that may mystify us. But one thing that will help is have the person begin to tell you their story. If, if this, the Italians have a saying, you know, I, I can't know you unless I've dined with you. Hmm. Uh, I like to say I can't know you unless I've heard your story. When mm -hmm. I hear where you've been, where you've come from, your background, the, the, some of the issues, some of the situations you've been through in life, uh, some of the things that have happened to you, uh, some of the things that you've done, it just it can't help but begin to generate some compassion. Mm -hmm. and, and at least an ability to kind of put myself in the other person's shoes and yeah. say, wow, I think if I'd been through that, I, I might end up at the same place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that has a way of treating the person as a person and humanizing the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So we need to understand scripture. We need to understand the context, the culture that we live in, and we need to understand people as exactly. well. Um, other people and ourselves. You know, as well. when we did this in relationship to world religions, we did it through three questions. We mm -hmm. said, "What is this religion about? What makes it tick? What draws a person to this mm -hmm. faith? What I call it the Velcro factor. What causes them to stick to this religion and, and be an adherent of it?" And then how does the gospel speak into that attraction? Yeah. And so, you know, whereas traditionally what we tend to do is to say, well, here's what this religion believes and here's what the Bible says about it. Now that, again, is valuable to know the difference. You've got to know what you're dealing with. But the flip side of it is, is that I'm addressing someone. If I can address them from where they are coming from as the starting point, I'm in a much better place to have a conversation with them mm -hmm. and to draw them into, the, into what it is uh, to get them to be reflective. I see Paul do this, doing this in Acts 17. Mm -hmm. He starts off by saying, I see you're very spiritual. Now, he doesn't like the idols that they're worshiping at all, but he does say, I see that you're very spiritual, and since you're spiritual, let's have a conversation about spirituality, and then he dives into it. And so this, this way in is a, is a way of, of connecting with someone in the midst of sometimes very challenging conversations, mm -hmm. and good leadership knows how to do that and do that well. Mm -hmm. And just spending this unhurried, unrushed time with people, humanizing them, like mm -hmm. you say, so you're not uh, working with someone like this is a Buddhist, quote unquote, or a Muslim, but this is my friend. This is a person. You know, Liam or whoever it is, right? Mm -hmm. We saw this doing Vietnamese refugee ministry in Orange County. It's just mm -hmm. spending time with people, um, then you don't see them as a label, you see them as a person. People. Yeah. And the fascinating thing is a text like, say, Colossians 4, uh, 5 and 6, talks about engaging with outsiders as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. They don't see it as a threat, it's yeah. nothing to be afraid of, it's nothing to back off from, you know, it's nothing to fear. There's another passage in 1 Peter 3 that says, you know, we're not supposed to fear the engagement that we have, but we're supposed to set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts and be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in us, but with courtesy mm -hmm. and respect, with gentleness and respect. And so, so the text sees these as opportunities that for engagement that have an opportunity where we have an opportunity to represent faithfully uh, God's presence in the world. And hopefully mm -hmm. we do that from, from our character and the way we engage with people. So this relational dimension is a very important part of what we need to understand yeah. as we engage. And, yeah. and there's one other level, Mikkel, and that is understanding ourselves. 
the older I get, the more I realize that self-awareness, it, 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 it may not be the only thing at the heart of leadership, but it's certainly at the heart of leadership. If I don't know myself, both the good and the bad, then I've got a big problem. Mm-hmm. You know, in Galatians, for instance, Paul, he, he gets pretty angry at the Judaizers, and he says, why don't you just go ahead and go all the way and emasculate yourselves? And you're thinking, wow, that's really strong, almost mean-spirited language. Why would he do such a thing? Because in Galatians 1, he's already opened up his, you know, uh, robe and said, look, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was murdering people. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want people to go back there. He he knows himself well enough to know that if the law could save, it would save. But in fact, it didn't. And he he he's very honest about who he is. And he and he. On the other side, people also need to know something about what I like to call the good truth about who they are. And as you know, my mm-hmm. specialization has to do with people's giftedness. Mm-hmm. And so we have a variety of resources at the Hendricks Center in helping particularly students come to grips with how God has designed them and what their strengths are so that they can deploy those strengths where they can be most effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So self-awareness is also a comprehension thing. and it. It'll overlap with one of the other C's that we get into later. So yeah. what we're saying is, is that you know you have the character of the leader, which certainly is fundamental in the core starting point. It's kind of your your hub, right? But uh, what that character needs to be um, sensitized to and aware of is what Scripture says on the one hand, mm-hmm. and what's going on around people on the other, and what's driving them mm-hmm. to be and respond the way in which they are responding. And a leader who's very discerning about that is much better equipped to lead than just, you know, a good person, you yeah. know, who who may be good and, and, and warm-hearted and everything else, committed to the Lord, but if they're oblivious to what's going on around them, they're going to be struggling to walk into some of these difficult areas oftentimes that mm-hmm. were that were often have to not only lead individually, but remember leaders are leading institutions and they're having other people follow them. Yeah. So that there's a corporate dimension to leadership that is important uh, to keep in mind that the leader has to be equipped to be able to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Well, we're starting to bleed into that second concept, which is the second C word, which is compassion. Mm-hmm. And we've already talked about compassion a little bit. Um, sometimes you see such as uh, polarization out there in the public square where people have forgotten how to to listen to each other and have those difficult conversations. I really like this GPS, spiritual GPS illustration Mm -hmm. you give. So talk about what it means to get a spiritual GPS on someone. Well, I tell people that when you first meet someone, someone, especially someone very different than you, that the first thing you ought to do is is be a good listener. There's a wonderful passage in James that talks about being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Mm-hmm. It's a great text. And and so the idea is to be a good listener and that and and then I say the next thing you need to do is to get a spiritual GPS on someone. You need to get to know the person well enough to kind of see what drives them, what causes them to tick, what are they interested in, what are they invested in as a person, what influences have impacted them. And I often say in the midst of talking about this that you know, we're meeting more and more people today who've never darkened the door of a church. Mm-hmm. So anticipate what their understanding of Christianity is going to be if they've never walked into a church. It's going to be what they absorb from the culture around them. Mm. Now think about that. 
what do you think that portrait of Christianity is going to be like? It's probably mm-hmm. going to be something that's going to have to get addressed at one point mm-hmm. or another because mm-hmm. it's probably not too faithful to the faith that you're that that you're familiar with. Okay, so all of that is important to know. You know, are there influences in the background? Is there a bad church experience in the background? Mm-hmm. All those kinds of things can be very important, and so you pursue that. And the other thing that I say is, you want to put your doctrinal, um, theological. In identity meters on mute. Okay? Now, that's said very carefully. I'm not saying turn them off. You're not going to be able to. You're going to register with things that are said to you. And you should. You should pay attention to what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. But what I mean by that is, is that our tendency is when we hear something that's off, is I've got to respond. I've got to respond immediately. Yeah. You know, we immediately go into rebuttal mode. And, and the way you know in a conversation whether you're listening or not is whether you're in a mode in which if I had to repeat what this person said to me in different words so that they would say, you get it, I could do that, mm-hmm. or I'm in a mode in which I say the way I'm going to respond to this person is. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you sort out whether you've got that meter on mute or not. And and so you put it on mute and you just try and, and figure out GPS, you're trying to figure out where they're located. Mm-hmm. And down the road, if you and, and we're assuming here in some of these conversations, we're assuming we're talking about these long-term relationships that people have, the ones they care about the most. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you're going to get a, a chance down the road, you know, to bring up the stuff that you hear. But initially, what you want to do, I want to understand what drives this person and what makes them tick. That's part of compassion. Mm-hmm. And and another important part to realize about this is that. The attempt to understand someone doesn't equate agreement with them, mm-hmm. nor does it equate defection because you're compromising on anything. You're trying to get to know the person. And really, before you can do a good assessment on someone, the better you understand them, the more likely your assessment is to be to be you know more on target. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about something that's almost a requirement relationally in order to be able to interact well, and particularly in areas of conflict, it's important that you that you at least know what you're disagreeing about well. Mm-hmm. And so we say in these difficult conversations, which is a part of compassion, that when you interact with someone and you can both say. Yep, that's exactly what we disagree about. Now let's talk about it. You're in a much better place than sometimes what often happens in these conversations, particularly when they're debates. You end up talking past one another, and you really aren't touching the issue that you really disagree about. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. 
Mm-hmm. It's so important to develop that empathy, that um, understanding of the other person rather than feeling like they said something I disagree with. Now I have to defend the entire contents of the Christian worldview <laughs> because they have a different view than me on, on this particular topic. Right. Um, you were talking a couple days ago about sometimes behind closed doors, people are really honest with you and they say, you know what? I just don't care. I just don't care. Are we stuck? Are they stuck? Is there a way forward? How do we help people to develop that kind of compassion? Yeah, I, I, I think a lot anymore about how do you get people to care? You know, we, the phrase is out there, compassion fatigue. You know, mm. you, you hear about people starving or you hear about, you know, terrible atrocities and it's so much of it, after a while you just become callous to it and you get compassion fatigue. But how do you, how do you care? And, you know, I don't think you can gin it up. I, I, I don't know the whole answer to that question, but I do know one thing. Uh, we ought to pray for more uh, instances in which God uh, takes us through a time of personal brokenness. When somebody goes through a really deep or dark valley, the death of a loved one, a serious life-threatening illness, uh, an auto wreck, a financial reversal, uh, getting fired, you know, stuff that's really rocked their world. Maybe severe depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean – that basically takes them beyond their strength, and now I got now I got nowhere to go but look up to God and cry out to Him. Okay, mm-hmm. that's actually a good thing because at that point, it 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 begins you begin to look around at other humans and go, Wow, I'm also in this human condition. I live in this fallen world, and now it's affected me. It somehow has a way of engendering some compassion for people that are struggling. You know, and people who don't have the gospel. Many people know that I, I lost my first wife back in 2000 to breast cancer. So I now have a, an 18-year PhD in grief and loss, okay? A verse that has come back to me again and again and again, of course, is in First Thessalonians 4 where Paul says, I, uh, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that as Christians we grieve but not as those who have no hope. That's absolutely true, and both sides of it are true. We do grieve. Mm-hmm. I mean, grief really is real grief. Like it hurts, you know, and it doesn't really ever subside. I mean, the the, the severity may, but grief is not like five stages and you're out of it. It's a cycle, and these cycles will come back throughout your life. But it's not as if we have no hope, and I do not know what people do who grieve but have no hope. I mean, to, to, to see your whole world vanish before your eyes and not have God, that's a rough thing. By the way, that same principle applies to a lot of other things. You know, we suffer, but not as those who have no hope. We have financial reversals, but not as those who have no hope. Hmm. So as Christians, you know, we live in the same vicissitudes that everybody else. The only difference is that we have some hope. But that ought to give us some compassion for people that have not yet found Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, you do a lot of work with people in the business world. Mm-hmm. How do you help them integrate this idea of compassion and empathy into their vocation? Um, well, the same place we're talking. I'm like, let, let's see people as persons, not mm-hmm. just a means to get you know money to be made. Mm-hmm. In other words, every person that you inter- interact with in the workplace, maybe maybe the people that report to you. Yeah, we've got work to get done here, and we're paying them a salary or a wage to get that work done. 
But people bring all of who they are to work. And so they not only bring it's, – it's like Henry Ford back in the day said, you know, when you hire a hand, uh, the whole body shows up, you know, and that's so true. I mean, the person brings all of their challenges, all of their problems, all the relational things they're going through, all of their hopes and dreams. They bring all of that to work. And so we need to see people uh, as whole persons mm-hmm. and 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 begin to care about where is their life going, obviously, as Christians, that bigger thing of where's their eternal destiny going. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and we need to bring Christ to them, not just by, you know, hammering on them to, to repent and turn. I mean, the gospel certainly needs to be shared, but it needs to be shared uh, – not just for eternity, but for right now, the values of our king that Daryl mentioned, it, it, it's an attractive uh, set of values. Mm-hmm. Life goes better when we treat people as we would want to be treated, for example. Yeah. And, and we show them patience, and we show them kindness, and we show them uh, compassion. Yeah, so compassion works not only in your individual spiritual conversations, but even at work, where you see your coworkers as people. Oh, and especially at work, because yeah. that's that's where most of us interface with most of our mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. colleagues, and even in communities. You know, sometimes yep. we tend to talk about these things as if they're strictly individualized, but there actually is a dimension of this that's bigger than who I am or who you are, but who we are as a community. And so how does the church show its compassion, and how do leaders lead with enough compassion mm-hmm. so that the community takes on you know, that, that value and that virtue in such a way that they see you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? How, how, do, we, how do we live in such a way that, that, that ministers and engages in such a way that that message gets reinforced by the way we as a community treat people. You know, one of our heroes at the Hendricks Center is a guy named Tom Landis. Have you had him on a podcast yet? We if, had if not, him we ought to. live here. We yeah. had him live? Yeah. I know we've had him live at the seminary. Yeah. Tom Landis is, a, is an entrepreneur and he's a restaurant guy. But uh, a couple of years ago, he created a concept called Howdy Homemade Ice Cream here in Dallas. And the whole staff at Howdy Homemade is special needs people, okay? And his vision, his, his passion is to create more jobs for special needs people. And he's doing that out of his conviction that people matter. And not just, you know, high IQ people and educated people, but, but special needs people too. And he, he pointed out to me that uh, for many special needs people, uh, they grow up and they're mainstreamed, and then when they get to be 18, 20, somewhere in there, all their friends go off to work or to college or the military or wherever they go, and they're there by themselves. And it quickly becomes apparent to them, gee, there's no job for me. Many of them get institutionalized. But what happens at that point is their life expectancy plummets because they don't have a purpose. Mm. If you don't have a purpose, then you start to die. And that's literally what's happening there. And so Tom realized this problem, and he said, well, they ought to have jobs like everybody else. And so he created a kind of work there in Howdy Homemade, which actually fits some of the skills, some of the, the, the ways that homeless, uh, that uh, uh, special needs people can contribute, because a lot of the work is repetitive, 
and uh, it, it interaction with the customers and so forth, it actually works for them. Yeah. So compassion. Now we're moving into courage, yeah. which is the next C concept. Good. We're starting to see how these things kind of dovetail mm-hmm. together. Talk to us a little bit about the kind of courage that we need to have as Christian uh, leaders in this shifting culture. Well, the main thing is the courage to walk into difficult places and spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that you know it's easy. Uh, there there are reactions that are that are easy. I can react against something. Okay, and I push back, and all I do is kind of stiff arm what's going on. And when I stiff arm, I'm keeping distance. I can withdraw. I just don't want to have anything to do with that. That's just too complicated. I am not going there. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think in many situations in the church, that's probably the default category. Is we just stay out of it. Just I don't want to. I don't want to stir the waters. Don't want to rock the boat. Don't want to rock the boat. I want as much peace as possible. Meanwhile, this stuff is all simmering underneath and eating away at your community if you don't deal with it. And the third way is to step forward and step in, to have the courage to step forward and step in. Hopefully, you've done it with you, you do it with good character. Mm-hmm. You do it with a comprehension, some comprehension of what's going on, and you do it with enough compassion that when you step in, uh, you have something to offer. And in the midst of offering it, you're not only you're not only modeling something about how to deal with it, but you're also helping other people get their hands and 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 heads around what's going on and how to go about dealing with it. So good leadership, I think, has the ability to have this courage to step in to the difficult space, to the Mm -hmm. difficult place, and to have something to offer once you step in because you have all these other components that you've brought with you that make it that, that, that allow you to function even in the midst of the difficulties. Yeah, so I'm hearing us putting together these two things, courage and compassion together. So you mm-hmm. can have your convictions on one hand that you don't let go of those convictions, yep. but you have the kind of character where you're able to be charitable and, and winsome um, in your discussions. That's exactly right. And so, and, and you do it in a way that, that causes people to reflect. I, I often tell people that engagement, oftentimes, sometimes the best thing to do is to not make a statement, but to ask a question. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or to make an observation, and the and the question of the observation is designed to give the person on the other side of it the opportunity to just kind of step back and pause, mm-hmm. and think through what's going on. Again, I come back to Acts 17. What Paul does after initially commending his audience for their for their spiritual for their openness to spirituality is to talk about uh, what their connection to idolatry means. And he causes them – he's hoping to give them pause about where they – do you really think you can confine the Creator God to a building? I mean, just, just think about that for a second. That's yeah. designed to give you pause, okay? It takes courage to go there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so he doesn't uh, step back. Another thing that takes courage is Paul understood when he was introduced in, at, at uh, Mars Hill that they didn't introduce him this way. We'd like to welcome this apostle who's part of a new religious movement that we really are finding fascinating and we're curious about. And we think he has something very significant to say to us, so we invited the Apostle Paul to come and address us and we're all ears. No, they viewed him as a, as a cultural curiosity. They described him as a seed picker. That's like a little bird that flits from 
from this to this to this to this, and the <laughs> suggestion is, you know, uh, a mile a mile wide and an inch deep. That's the way they're viewing Paul. But he has the courage to step into that situation and address them as honestly and directly and try to serve them despite their attitude mm-hmm. as he engages them. All of that takes courage. All of that involves risk. And, and the key risk is having enough um, security in your identity in the Lord and, and the security that that gives you to be able to take the flack and the pushback and everything else that will come from taking the risk to step into that space. A good leader understands that often will happen, that not mm-hmm. every, when you step into the fray, not everyone's going to be on your side. Or another way to think about it, this is one of the ways in which our culture has changed, is we've gone from being the home team okay, to being the visitors. And in the midst of being the visitors, we get all the pressure, not just of playing the home team, but of playing the audience that's rooting for the home team. And so that takes, to, you know, to play well on the road mm-hmm. takes a, a particular fortitude because a lot of people are yelling against you yeah. as you're doing what you're doing. That all takes courage. Well, that's and right. on top of that, meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know, if we're the if we're the visiting team back home. You got some people that are mad about the fact that we're no longer the home team, mm-hmm. and 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 they're not happy that you're out there on the road. Frankly, they to extend the metaphor, there sometimes there's people you're not only taking flack from the culture around you, but you're taking flack in the back from people that formerly you, you thought they were on your team, and but they're mad that you're even out there trying to engage. Mm-hmm, That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best thing they would think you could do is just withdraw and get out of it. Right. And, and the flack that, but when you withdraw and get out of it, look what you're doing. You're actually creating a vacuum. You're creating a vacuum in which there's no counter voice. Mm. And when yeah. and that space fills. That space fills with yeah. something. So, so to withdraw uh, – It's to a with, concession. It's a concession. Yeah. And so, so – so this courage is extremely important for the leader, the ability to step into that space and engage, mm-hmm. in some cases challenge, uh, but to do so in a way that at the same time is inviting because, um, you know, think, think about the way in which God initiated getting our attention, mm. okay? The way he initiated getting our attention was to, was to come into our lives. Was to engage with us, yeah. and that's that's when we were enemies. That's right. We, like you said, it, we we didn't throw him a parade when he came. <laughs> that's right. I mean, the people that threw him a parade ended up putting him on a cross. So back in that First Peter three passage that we were talking about, there's a line that says, "The just for the unjust to bring you." He's talking about his readers to God, and he's reminding him where they were at the start. We're all in the same boat. Everybody needs God, mm-hmm. without exception. Mm-hmm. The person who's accepted what God offers and the person who hasn't accepted what God offers, everyone needs God. And what we are trying to do is to say, look, just as God took the initiative with, with us, mm-hmm. when we had our backs turned, we know what that's like. I know where you've been, uh, and I think there's a much better place to be than the place where you are. Yeah. And this, this is why I get so excited about our brothers and sisters who are working in fields like journalism mm-hmm. and the arts and entertainment, you know, and business and government and, you know, messy spaces, but they're believers who are saying, we want to take our faith with us when we go to work because we want to 
we want to make a difference here, and and we want to show what Jesus would do in this space. Mm-hmm. And one of the side things of that, of course, is is that we're all believer priests, right? Um, every one of us doesn't matter what our vocation is, doesn't matter what our calling is, right? Because we all have a calling. God has put us all in a space and a place to minister, and leaders leaders in the church who are who who are vocational in their Christian commitment in terms of being in the church and trying to inspire others about their walk need to be sensitive to the fact that everyone has a calling and everyone has a place. Mm-hmm. That takes courage too right? because uh, a lot of times people think that the vocational task that they're engaged in has little or nothing to do with their Christian life and their Christian walk when in fact – It has everything to do with it. And, and it has everything to do with God's program. Exactly. I like to tell people that churches are ignoring the most basic evangelistic program that God put in place when he made us to begin with, which was to steward the creation well. Well, how are we going to steward the creation well if we don't have farmers and workers mm-hmm. and technicians, and doctors, et cetera, and doctors and, and lawyers, educators. people who lay uh, the concrete on the ground so we can get from point A to point B. And thank God for garbage collectors. Just go through. Yeah, don't yeah. even think about what happens if that doesn't get picked up. Hmm. And so, you know, so you've got all these vocations that exist that God has called us to to regard as a way of serving one another as we steward the creation well together, mm-hmm. which is the creation mandate. And in the midst of that, it it takes courage and it takes leadership to step into that and say in a firm Everyone has a space and place that God has put them in, and God's evangelistic program is to spread people out across the creation in a variety of vocations so they can rub shoulders with other mm-hmm. people. You know, uh, I sometimes tease people that the Great Commission says, go into all the world. Well, actually, God's already sent you there. You know, <laughs> you don't have to go far. <laughs> you, 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 can, you can try and shut that off, but you're already in that game. So. So, you know, so how do we inspire people in the midst of that yeah. to be what God has called them to be where he has them? I like how Bill mentioned people uh, in all these media and politics and all these different places that you mentioned as well. If Christians don't step up to the table, if we don't have a space at the table, then our voice won't be heard and we'll see less and less Christian influence in, exactly. in society. So we need to be out there. Brings us to the last, it's already been implicit in our, in our conversation, the last C is the idea of character. And so we think of all kinds of different things that come to mind maybe when you hear the word character. How would you define character in this regard? Well, in this case, um, character that we're talking about is the character that images the presence and power of God. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which actually is very relational. We're talking about authenticity. We're talking about integrity. We're talking about uh, genuineness. We're talking about a person who has nothing to hide. I mean, there are a lot of ways to think about what character is. And, and, and we need the Spirit of God to have this character. It's not something we have instinctive. You don't, you don't default to character, <laughs> okay? Uh, and, and so – uh, and and that's the core. It, it, I can have all the reading I want around me. I can have all the courage. I can have all the compassion in the world. But if I don't have character, it's not Kinda going anywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you see the character piece playing into the uh, faith and work conversation? Well, this is why uh, the spiritual formation piece is so important. In other words somebody's personal relationship with Christ. And that doesn't just happen. That, that's something that a person intentionally 
meets with God on a daily, if not hourly basis, to bring themselves back before God and 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 try to hear God's voice and understand His Word and and be in His presence, so that His Spirit begins to change our character, uh, transform our inner person, because everything goes from the inside out, and uh, and that happens over time. Uh, and that's why when you go to work, you ask about the workplace tie-in. Too often. People may be Christians, but functionally speaking, they're pure secularists when they go to work and that they leave God at home. Hmm. And they need to bring Him with them. Mm -hmm. I need to be praying over the task in front of me. I need to be praying about the people around me. I need to be praying about the meeting I'm getting ready to go into. I need to be talking with God about the decision I'm getting ready to make and invite His presence and power to demonstrate themselves in those moments. Mm -hmm. If we did, I think we'd see a lot different things happening in our work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we we got to apply those spiritual disciplines to our work in order for that to happen. So yeah. we seek to shape um, compassionate, courageous leaders, and we do that by training leaders to possess biblical agility in shifting times. And when we do that, when we put that package together, it's a very – and that only happens through the power of the Spirit of God. But when that happens, you have a person who can deal with anything fresh that comes their way. They, they, it isn't that they have a rote answer. In fact, the answer that they might have is the recognition that the answer in this particular situation is particularly complex. But they know not only how they should deal with the situation, but they know how to lead other people into and through the situation. And in the context of the shifting times that we've been talking about, that skill is essential. It requires boldness. It requires being prophetic. It requires it requires a, a comfort zone with their own status before God that's willing to take the pushback. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of all that, um, they're able to develop that skill to read and react to what's in front of them so they know when the opportunity comes, they know how to seize it. Mm -hmm. An image that comes to my mind just after our entire conversation here is that image of an ambassador mm -hmm. who's able to inter interact, to engage with people who see Christianity differently than they do, whether you're talking to that skeptical relative or your uh, skeptical friend at work, um, but walking, walking with someone before they get to the crossroads, mm -hmm. before that the gospel becomes a, um, a challenge even in their lives so that we can be the kinds of leaders who can teach truth and love well, who can uh, lead with courage and compassion. And a good ambassador doesn't just live in the embassy. He gets out and gets to know the people of the country, the foreign country that he resides in. Well, that's their in. job. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Our time has flown by, but it's been an amazing conversation. Thank you, Bill, for being with us. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Daryl. Pleasure. And we thank you again so much for joining us on the table. Stay with us next time when we continue to discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.